Welcome to a joint venture into the world of Star Wars and The Force Awakens. My name is Brian, and by joint adventure, I mean we're talking TrendingTopicsNetwork.com, ToonShow.com, and of course, GameBlock.com, with the hyphen in between there. Uh, again, my name is Brian, and with me today to discuss Star Wars The Force Awakens, a very spoiler-heavy episode, um, it will be... From GameBlock.com, Ryan Hamner, what's going on? Nothing, how are you doing today? Oh, doing awesome, I think, if my voice holds out. Yeah, and just to, uh, we'll just, just to reiterate, <laughs> so we're 100% clear, uh, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you have somehow not seen The Force Awakens at this point, turn this thing off right now. As much as we love having you listen, I don't want to ruin the movie for you. So save it, bookmark it, do whatever, come back after you've seen it. Um, you don't want to listen to this because we're going to ruin a bunch of stuff. Well, we really will. And um, one person that can never be spoiled, though, is our other leg of the triumvirate. Uh, the guy who was across the ocean, and because he's right beside the ocean, because I think Great Britain is um, just pretty much an ocean thing. <laughs> And it's constantly raining, so it'll probably rain seawater there. So because he's salted so much, he can never spoil. Uh, he's Mart. What's going on, Mart? I'm well preserved, and I can confirm it is raining in Blighty. <laughs> <laughs> if if the UK were like a Star Wars planet, what planet would it be? Oh, good question. I might have to think about uh, that one. <laughs> you have to think about it. I mean, if, if it's raining all the time, it's got to be Camino, right? Yeah, there's not a lot of clones here, though. There's a lot of weird-looking people, but not a lot of clones. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here. Uh, to be sure, as we've said before already twice, this is going to be a spoiler-heavy episode. Um, and... The three of us, we've seen it at least twice each. Uh, how many times have you guys seen The Force Awakens? I know I've seen it twice. Yeah, I took my, yeah, I took my wife uh, Friday morning, first thing in the morning, 9 a.m. show, first show of the day. And then I took my daughter uh, the week after. And, you know, it's it's uh, everybody in the family has seen it. I've seen it twice. And... There's just a ton of stuff that I missed the first time because I was just so overwhelmed by how awesome everything was. I, I totally agree. And what are your thoughts, Mart? Uh, you saw you saw it twice as well. Did you go uh, with different family yeah, members yeah. each time, I, or I how did you do that? took the boy and my dad the first time. Um, it was more of a sentimental thing because the first time I saw Empire Strikes Back was with my dad and his dad. So I thought that would be kind of a cool thing to do. And they both loved it, although my dad's getting old and said it was too loud. And then the second time, I took my better half, and she loved it as well. Nice. Nice, yeah. I saw it on Thursday, uh, the Thursday that it opened. Um, the first showing in regular 2D format, because I'm just not a fan of 3D. And I knew that the first couple of times that I've seen it at least would be in 2D because I find 3D movies to be just way too distracting for me. Um, I'm one of the ones that just doesn't like, doesn't like the 3D experience as much. 
Um, and we took the entire family. I had basically as soon as they got home from school, I had lunches packed for them, um, all with their own decorative Star Wars bags because <laughs> I'm a nerd. That's awesome. Um, I drew pictures of them, um, of different things on, on each of the bags. And then we hopped in the car and, and went to the theater. We were there, I believe at five o'clock for a seven thirty showing. <laughs> uh, we were the first ones in the parking lot. We just ate like basically eight bag lunches and kind of hung out. Um, while we watched all the people start to roll in, um, Really fun that night, and then the next day, well, not the next day, but on the next Monday, um, my wife had off school, the kids were in school, and so my wife and I went for, I believe, a 10 o'clock a.m. showing, uh, and, and we watched it, just the two of us. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the things that you said is, is really important, because the second time you see it, you pick up so much more, because the first time, it's almost like you want to soak everything in. But because of the, the emotion of the experience, the fact that you are excited, you end up, as much as you try to soak in, missing so much uh, because you've got that, that emotional cloud in the way. Yeah, it's it's so um, hard to pay attention to what is actually going on in the film story-wise when Han Solo and Chewbacca first appear on the screen. I mean, you're just like and, – and that's a scene that we've seen in the trailer. We've We've known that scene exists for – six, eight months now, but still, I mean, it's just like the, the theater, just a waves of applause that went on and on. So you can't hear the dialogue. And you know what? That's totally fine because I was clapping and yelling along with everybody else. So in a moment like that, and this film is packed with those kind of moments, you, 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 the story just kind of takes a backseat. You know, it's, you just get so caught up in the emotional wave. Absolutely. And what do you think, Mark? I mean, it, it was it was a pretty unique experience, yeah. I think, with the weight that we had. I think the, the first time around, it was the, the whole nostalgic things from start to finish just tugged at me, you know, and you get the, like the goosebumps, your hair stand on end in certain scenes where it's got that flavor where it harps back to the originals. And when I watched it yesterday, although I still had those moments, I was paying more attention to the story than I was the first time. So caught up in the mm-hmm. moment first time around, it was, yeah, yeah. completely and different experience one, second time around. One of the things that I, I found helped me, and, and maybe it's kind of unorthodox advice for somebody who might be going to see it a second, third, or fourth time, whatever, Um. Because of my hearing issues, I oftentimes get the closed captioning devices uh, for these movies. I strongly recommend doing that because you don't have to have a hearing issue to like to basically ask them for the closed captioning devices. And there are little things in the dialogue that I completely would have missed otherwise. And my wife actually got a pair the second time around, and she said the exact same thing, that there were things that she just missed that she hadn't actually seen it written out. Um, so I strongly suggest doing that too, because there were little little things that I didn't pick up on that that I was able to the second time, even though I was reading it the first time as well. Um, but my wife actually verified that there were things. Um, it's it's one of those little weird tips that maybe people don't think about because it's not an issue they have. Uh, but I definitely found that to be useful. Uh, I, I was just really excited, and and we were talking in the pre-show about how we felt leaving the theater. And I think that's as much as, as important as any 
movie experiences. How did how did you feel? How did the movie make you feel? And Ryan, you constantly you constantly talk about how emotionally invested we are because we've been around it our entire lives, uh, which is really the case. And I rarely is there a franchise of anything that you can honestly say that you've been around it your whole life. Uh, and Star Wars is that franchise for us. Um, and I left the theater honestly feeling so, I don't know, like fulfilled. I've never felt the way I felt leaving the theater for any movie. Uh, based on the hype, based on the fact that it didn't disappoint me, and based on the fact that there is so much to potentially look forward to uh, in the future. Uh, I'll start with you, Mart. How did you feel leaving the theater after seeing it that first time, or even the second time? The, the first time, I felt like I was a kid. It, it was just the best feeling in the world to have come out of there. Having having watched it with my son and my dad as well, I think that, that whole emotional time, it was, it was just... It was like when I went to see Empire as a five-year-old. That's exactly how I felt when I came out of there. It was it was just great, and I just wanted to go back in. I, I said to my dad, after it finished and the credits rolled, I said, can't we just sit here for another 18 months and wait for the next one? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd quite happily sit there and just watch it again and again and again until maybe Rogue Squadron comes out or, or the next one after that. It, it was it was just a great feeling, and I, I'll go yeah. back and watch it a third and fourth time. I I really wouldn't think about it twice. It it was such a big experience, and I don't know if it was the hype or everything else. Uh, but Ryan, how did you feel actually leaving the theater? Because I know that um, like Mart, it, it there's that kid factor where you feel like a kid and everything else, and um, I'll share a detail of my experience after you, but uh, how did you feel leaving even that first or that second time? Because the second time you had your daughter with you, so that would have been a completely different experience as well. I just felt an overwhelming sense of optimism when I walked out of the theater after the first viewing, Uh, a feeling that I never got from the prequels films, and we're not here to kick the prequels any more than, than have already been. Everybody agrees they suck. But this gives me so much hope for the future, like where they can go. There's so many carrots dangling out in front of us now, like who are Ray's parents? What what's gonna what happened at the Jedi Temple to drive Luke to feel so bad that he had to remove himself from this galactic conflict? There's all these like mysteries and story elements and major story elements waiting for us to discover. And I just, I, I'm just so excited about getting back into that theater and getting some answers and hopefully more questions to be answered in episode nine. Absolutely. And what about taking your daughter? Like, what was her experience? Because you have her there. Uh, was it? I'm talking about from a father's perspective, because uh, we'll talk about our our family's reactions a little bit later. But as a father, you're looking at your daughter. You take her in there. Uh, and it really goes for you too, Mart. Um, it was a unique experience because we got to really share something that was new, but something that's obviously been dear to us for our lives uh, with our little hell spawn that we take with us. <laughs> yeah, I, and and that that's the whole thing, you know, is one of my earliest 
memories of going to a movie theater was seeing Return of the Jedi back in 1983, which would have made me seven years old. My daughter turns seven next month. So I I guess when I took her and to be able to look over and see her giggling at a Finn joke or see her jaw drop open when a Raftar appears on screen, just moments like that, I understand like how my parents must have felt back in 1983 watching my reactions. And, you know, it's just... It, it's, it really, I mean, it gets you choked up a little bit when you think about it, because you can only, you only get to experience this one time. And I, I'm just so glad I was able to share The Force Awakens with my daughter and, and with my wife as well. But I mean, just that connection that you can kind of jump back in time to 1983, and, and it makes you feel more of a strong bond with your parents as well, because they, they went through the exact same thing then. Yeah. And, and, to me, that was one of the best part of, parts of it, because literally, whenever we went for the very first showing, it was my entire family. I had my daughter on my right, as 13 years old. I had my son on my left, and then to the left of him uh, was my wife. And having the kids, even if you don't look their way, you could feel their reactions. Um, either you'd feel them laughing, or... In one instance, you could feel them openly sobbing uh, <laughs> at the at the death scene of Han Solo, um, and it was one of those things because you knew that my son held my hand like the whole show. That's how excited he was. At ten years old, he's not afraid to hold my hand, which is awesome, uh, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I could feel every emotion. His hand squeezing a little tighter when he was nervous. Uh, whenever Han Solo, he was the one who was open, openly sobbing. My daughter, I could feel her crying. I, I knew my wife was. I could almost feel her through my son uh, with her reaction to it. And it was one of those, those weird moments where I knew Star Wars was important to me. But you realize at that point just how important it is to them as well. And And... It's something that I've honestly, in my family, been kind of selfish about. I, I've always looked at Star Wars as a my thing. Uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars as my son's thing. Uh, but Star Wars always belonged to me. And now all of a sudden, when you go to watch this movie and I've got my family surrounded me, as a father, I realized at that point, it's not just mine. And that was just a completely selfish way of looking <laughs> at it the entire time. Um and it was such, and that's probably fed into the fact that that the Force Awakens ended up being not just a movie but an experience. And like you said, we're not going to have that again because chances are we're not going to have to wait ten years for the story to continue. Um, it's it's just a very bizarre thing, and I can't say enough about that because that really is what it was. It was an experience versus a movie. And that's why I don't see myself not seeing it at least one or two times more uh, over the next month. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's uh, it's, it's hard not to see the similarities between what's happening on screen as characters like Luke Skywalker and Leia Leia Organa pass the torch off to new characters like Finn and Rey. You know, it, it's hard not to see ourselves in that as we kind of pass the torch to our kids. You know, hey, I want to share this with you. And I, like you, Brian, I've always been very 
hesitant to share Star Wars with my family because for the longest time, you know, Star Wars was kind of had a stigma attached to it. It was nerdy. And then the prequels sucked. So, you know, those had a bad, uh, kind of a bad stench about them. And my wife absolutely hates sci-fi. So I have never wanted to sit down with her and watch this and feel how uncomfortable she is, how much she hates it. Because, I mean, that that when you're going through that, you feel bad as well. It's like, well, you know, I shared this for you. She doesn't like it. You know, that that's it's not good yes. for any of us. But, I mean, I'm glad I was willing to take a chance with this because my wife loved it. My daughter loved it. And, you know, it's it created a memory we'll never forget. Absolutely. And how about you, Mike? I mean... Was that sort of the same type of experience that you have? Yeah, I think being able to do exactly the same as I did when I went to see Empire as a kid, um, sat with my dad and my son exactly the same way that he did all all, all those many, many, many years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I have got a couple of years on you too, but... um, it, just that whole thing, even sat there waiting for it to start, I was already in that emotional kind of state, ready for this film, and it, waiting for it to deliver. And it delivered on so many levels. And seeing my dad there, smiling, and then my son sat to the other side of me, smiling, laughing, you know. It, it was just an amazing experience. So the whole thing from start to finish was just great and uh, I mean my son got upset yesterday because he went around his friends to play he would rather have come back to the cinema to watch Star Wars again mm-hmm. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. awesome <laughs> yeah and I'm looking at, at the movie and, and we'll move on to one of the next topics and, and really part of the what drives the movie uh, for each generation uh, are really the characters and, and how we all relate to the different characters. Um, the Force Awakens, as you mentioned earlier, Ryan, having a, a good blend of the old in uh, kind of using them as a vehicle to the new, uh, I think it was so masterfully done in this one. And I know that there are people who don't buy into everything, but when you look at somebody like Rey, who Princess Leia in the original trilogies was always one of the kind of background characters you knew she was important but didn't really do anything important um in the original trilogy if you think about it um she was never really the forefront of the action in this movie you've got ray and ray was really one of the primary focuses in the entire film uh played by daisy ridley um is this a, a pretty welcome shift? I mean, she's a very strong character, a likable character, uh, and a very complex character, I think we're going to find out. Uh, do you think this is going to be a good vehicle to use her as the future of the Star Wars franchise? I thought she was awesome. You know, the performance, the writing. Um, I love the fact that she is just up, up against these overwhelming odds. You know, she has to, she has nobody there to support her. She has nobody to look after her. Uh, she's living in a hollowed out AT-AT. You know, she is just making everything that she has accumulated, she has fought and scrapped 
to to earn against these just overwhelming odds. And I know a lot of people are making the direct comparison to well, she's just like Luke in the first in the in A New Hope. Well, Luke had a family there to take care of him. He had mm-hmm. shelter. He had, I mean, they had the blue milk and whatever they were eating. I mean, he had food to to, to consume, a bed to sleep in at night. I, I just don't think they're as similar uh, as characters as everybody is making it out to be. I think she has a way uh, steeper climb to to get what what she needs to survive. Yeah, and, and what what are your thoughts? I mean. Mike, do you, do you think that this is the, a really strong vehicle to, to give yeah, for the next definitely. trilogy? She had a, a great performance in that film. And I, the comparisons between her and Luke, I can see it a little bit, but she's a lot stronger than semi-homo Luke was in A New Hope. You know, mm-hmm. He was a little bit... Yeah, he, was a, he was a little bit weak to start off with in A New Hope, I think, Luke. Whereas... Right, she's very strong, very headstrong character. It'd be interesting to see where she goes and then where what her background is. That's that's intriguing. Yeah, and and in a new hope, Luke was really fighting to get away from Tatooine, and and you kind of have the opposite thing going on with Rey, where she wants to stay on Jakku, uh, because she's actually her roots. Or her perceived roots are what's keeping her in place, whereas Luke was really the opposite. <laughs> it was it was his roots that were preventing him from going off and doing what he wanted to do. Um, and I I love the the complexity of the character because honestly, um, she was kind of if you look at the character, and I know that a lot of people are gonna kind of from this generation in particular are going to have their Slave Leia kind of thing with Rey, um, to where that's their little Star Wars geek crush, and that's fine, whatever. Um, I kind of look at it as much different because maybe it's um, because I'm a parent, and she comes across as so young. I almost want to scream out, like, parental advice to her. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you almost look at it as that type of a relationship, which... I guess that's a sign of getting older and showing the responsibilities that I have in my own life. Um, but at the same time, you've got this this strong girl who is her, her constitution is such that that she's a responsible person who is just waiting to get what it is that she's waiting for, and that is her family. Um, and it's only when she finally realizes that hey, they're not coming back uh, because Maz Kanata told her her Maz. However you pronounce it, um, mass. Like she had to have that moment where she was told, "Look, the back's your back is against the wall. You have no options but to go forward." And, and yet she's strong enough to do just that. But she was also strong enough to hold herself back the entire time from doing that. Um, I think it's very. I think that's one of the things that speaks to me about the character of Ray, because in a lot of ways I, I do see that in myself. Um, I know that, and, and like, one of the things, like, with school and things like that, I've always been the person that has the potential to do stuff, and I'm not moving until I actually am forced to. <laughs> and so I think that spoke to me about her. But but it just speaks to a little bit of complexity, because how old is she? I don't 19. know. She's 19. Is she 19? Yeah. 
It's like the character is 19. Okay. Because at times, I mean, I guess that fits because there are times when she's acting like a kid on Jakku. There are times where she's just kicking ass like an adult, um, you know, everywhere else. And, and it's or even on Jakku. Uh, and it's just it's a really refreshing uh, female character lead for the franchise. And I love that. Well, and it speaks to the filmmaking skill of J.J. Abrams and everyone else that was involved in this film, how they visually kind of give us hints at how young she is. You know, like the scene where she puts the rebel helmet on and kind of sits there, you know. I mean, this is a girl that's young enough to still be kind of, you know, playing. Uh, and the, the, I don't know if you guys caught the shot of the homemade doll, like the Rebel Alliance pilot doll she had constructed yeah. inside the AT-AT. I mean, she's, it's, it's just such good, without speaking a word or having anybody, there's no lines of dialogue there. Abram showed us just how young and vulnerable this girl is, but it doesn't detract from the, the amazing strength of character that we also see from her on screen. Yeah, and the loneliness, because there's an element of loneliness to where she's there surrounded by all these people, all these junkers, and and yet she's on her own. Yeah, and it, um, it, and it certainly <laughs> appears that everybody is out to get her. I mean, like, from the, the junk guy to the people that are trying to steal BB-8 away from her, I mean, she has no friends in this environment. I, I Everybody is, uh, you know, she faces an uphill battle to survive on Jakku on a daily basis. It, it must have been a massive struggle. Absolutely. And, and what are your thoughts on, uh, are there any characters, uh, do you want to expound on Ray or any characters that you'd like to, to bring up next, Mark? I think just one more thing on Ray. Ray, is, I know there was a lot of things that tugged at your heartstrings in that film, but the shaking lightsaber scene in the snow before Ray gets it in, instead of Ren, mm-hmm. still yesterday, still filled me with the same emotions as it did the first time I watched it. It was, it was just a, a fantastic thing. I know, I know, it's the Empire Strikes Back lightsaber in the snow moment, but it was just my favourite scene still when she gets that lightsaber. I couldn't, couldn't have been more pleased. <laughs> yeah. And your thoughts, Ryan? You want to continue? Yeah, with that? I definitely got choked up during that scene, um, and it says a lot that I mean, it was pretty obvious that that was probably going to happen. But I mean, it's still it just the, all my hair stood up on on end. Yeah. It was just such a powerful moment yeah. because the big badass Kylo Ren, somebody's finally gonna stand up to him, and you know, it's this amazing character that that we've you know watched her unfold. Uh, on, on, on screen, and, you know, we've spoken a great deal about her strength, but she's also a very caring, sympathetic person. Um, like the scene where she wouldn't sell BB-8, I mean, that would have fed her for a month, but she refused to do it because she cared for the robot, a, a, a being that's not even sentient. She cared so much for her, for him that, you know, she refused to, she'll go hungry. I mean, that's the kind of person she is. She's got such a strength of conviction, and it's just such a well-fleshed-out character. Yeah, and really is. And, and she's, she's like, taken on the role of mother, almost, with BB-8. Um, and very quickly. 
It's like it was second nature to her. And and moving on to uh, that scene, because, I mean, that scene was really just incredible with Kylo Ren. Uh, let's talk about Kylo Ren. Um, Kylo Ren, obviously, uh, at this point, since we are talking spoilers, is Ben Solo, uh, the son, the youngest son, according to the books, um, <laughs> of, of Leah and Han. Um, such a conflicted character. And Adam Driver plays Kylo Ren. He's been in a number of, of smaller films. Uh, whenever I first saw that, that they had picked him, I, to play the part of Kylo Ren once it was released that that's who he was playing, um, I didn't see him doing it. I didn't see him able to pull off some sort of character like that. But the reality is, uh, the part of Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, is such a conflicted character. And he was able to pull this role off just just perfectly. Like, I, I honestly can't understand why I didn't see him able to do it in the beginning. Uh, just his ability to, to just be completely conflicted, to hide behind a mask basically to emulate his idol who was his grandfather and Darth Vader. Uh, I I don't think that I've ever felt as bad about feeling like dislike for the bad guy ever um, in a movie. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on Adam Driver, his performance as Kylo Ren and, and Kylo Ren himself, Mark? I, uh, yeah, it was a good performance. I did, uh, it was a kind of few things... Did he? When did he go to Endor to pick up the uh, burnt Darth Vader mask? I just wondered that. Did Luke take it when he burnt him on the fire? Because you know, when he was worshiping the helmet, I mean, it was a good scene. Um, but yeah, it just kind of got me. How did he get that? Where did he get that? When did he get that? <laughs> <laughs> it had so many questions in it that I wanted answered just over one little scene that he's worth it, sat there begging his grandfather for help, showing more of the dark side. And I was thinking, but how did you get that? I want to know. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wanted to scream, just be good or be bad. Get off the fence, Kyler. <laughs> exactly. His um... grandfather ended up being good in the end, but... You know, he's just worshiping the dark side, but yeah, I don't know. He's got such an open-ended thing because I know how it ends in the books, and that's one of my problems is that I've read too many of the books and know too many of the characters um, around the Solos and, and the Skywalkers. Uh, but just focusing on the Force Awakens, because I realize at this point that there are enough differences that I don't know what's coming up next, and I'm 100% totally okay with that. Uh, Ryan, what are your thoughts on Kylo Ren? I know that you feel pretty strongly about him as as the um, the villainous type character. Uh, so why don't you tell us your thoughts on on Ren and Driver's performance? You know, we had seen quite a bit of Kylo Ren in the trailers leading up. Obviously, the first sight we saw of him was him holding the the burnt up helmet, and I never made this public, but that really concerned me. I thought that that was a huge, I, it just seems so over the top that this guy is dressed up as Vader. He's talking about finishing his work. 
it's just going to come off as something we've seen a million times before. And my God, the the Kylo Ren storyline just blew me away. It, it might be he he might uh, he's terrible. Don't get me wrong, but he might be the most interesting character in the Force Awakens. I mean, just this inner turmoil. Uh, the up and down. I love the fact that he has completely misinterpreted his grandfather's legacy. That he views the fall uh, to, to the fall to the light side as a bad thing. You know that Vader mm-hmm. quit on the dark side, and that was where he went wrong. I, I just love the the layers that this character has. I love that the fact that he randomly will throw a fit. And just destroy a, a, a room with his lightsaber. Yeah. He's just so unstable. And you can see that this is a regular deal with him because everybody is just terrified of him. He's like a petulant child, a toddler throwing a fit. And it just gives him so much depth. Uh, and I just cannot wait to see where he goes. And the fact that he kills Han Solo... I mean, that's terrible. Nobody wanted to see Han die, but what a way to go. And that, uh, in and of itself, is going to give Kylo Ren such a... Uh, he just makes him so much... Uh, I can't wait to see what happens with him. And it just... Y- you want to hate him, but at the same time, you understand why he felt he had to do that. And I, 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 I feel bad that I'm saying that, because I love Han Solo. But you do understand why he why he did it. Absolutely. That, re- that reminds and me when when he had his first tantrum with the lightsaber, my son leant across to me and he said, "Daddy, he's got anger management issues." <laughs> <laughs> and he does. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the second <laughs> second tantrum where the stormtroopers are walking towards him and they just like turn around and walk yeah. out. It's like, yep. <laughs> They're, yeah. they're used to doing this, or used to seeing this, and they are not going to, uh, they're going to patrol down the other hallway this time. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I love that. I, I think the entire theater just busted out laughing. As, as soon as those sparks were flying and then the stormtroopers stopped, everybody's like, whoa. And uh, it was just one of those comic relief moments, which they were a lot of. And and you look at all the different things, and, and you talk about the confliction that that exists in the Kylo Ren character. And every branched out possibility of Kylo Ren it's nothing but conflict. And and then it comes down to the fact that they had to have the confrontation between him and Han Solo. There were really only two options there. He would either give up or he would you knew <laughs> that was it. He was either gonna to give in uh to the light as he was being tempted by the light side. Um, or he was going to kill Han Solo. There were no other <laughs> options. It's one way or the other. There's only two ways off that bridge. And and you knew it had to happen as soon as he called out Ben. And, and as soon as he did that, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, shit, this is not happening. Yeah. Um, and, and it was a very severe moment for me because the whole time you're watching him and yes he was so unstable and and I love that about him but he was also so powerful he was doing things we've not seen a dark side of the force user actually do Um, 
stopping that blaster bolt in one of the opening in the opening oh, scene no. on Jakku. And just stopping it in midair. And holding it for then, like two minutes, it seemed. Yeah, and, and just ignoring it. He did everything else, and the whole time, he's still holding it there. That was maybe, like, the biggest oh shit moment. Uh, just the fact that he was able to do that, because that's when you realize how badass he is. And then when you add the fact that he's completely unhinged, and just completely unstable, uh, that you get that evidence uh, from throughout the entire movie. You realize just how dangerous he can be, or just how good he can be. But either way, he's killed Han Solo at this point. And what are the consequences? I mean, you're going to have consequences to that. There's no way he can, uh, you know, even if he turns to the light side, uh, which we can speculate all we want to about that. But if he turns back to the light side, he's got to deal with the fact that regardless of what side he falls on, he has killed his father. And that's something that nobody should ever have to deal with. But he's going to have to deal with it. And that's why I love Kylo Ren, the character. I love the development of him to that point and after. Um for the future, it's just going to be pretty incredible. What a strong character. What a strong villain. Or anti-villain. If you can have an anti-hero, he's really an anti-villain, I think. Because even though he killed Han Solo, which is an iconic character in, in our lives, uh, you want to hate him for it. But at the same time, you saw what it took for him to even do it. Even in the grasp of uh, what Supreme Leader Snoke. Um, just really powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah, if there's anybody to hate for the death of Han Solo, it's it's Snoke because he has obviously been pulling the puppet strings here. And I mean, we don't know the mystery of what happened at the temple at this point, but I mean, clearly Snoke is is the the ultimate baddie. He slipped into the into the Emperor role. Uh, of this trilogy, it appears. And it appeared that, obviously, Han and Leia have some kind of history with Snoke as well, as they spoke directly of him uh, before the assault on Starkiller Base. So, I mean, there's just so many threads left to be discovered here, and they all lead back to uh, Kylo Ren is kind of at the center of everything right now. He's at the center of the Luke mystery. Um, He, I thought it was very interesting, especially on a second viewing, how... He really lost his mind when uh, one of the stormtroopers reported that a girl was involved. You know, he pulled that officer yes. all the way. So, you know, it's kind of like that kind of leads into the wreck, kind of connects him to the Ray mystery as well. So, I mean, he's just, he really is kind of the straw stirring the drink of this, of this movie when you think about it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's one of those. Like it's one of the situations that you don't want to find your your villain in, to where he knows so much, he, he's such a strong character, and he's got connections that you're not quite sure how it all fits in, um, and yet that makes for great storytelling. And and reality, I, I think it would be remiss to talk about Kylo Ren if we don't talk about his his kind of rival in arms, which would be General Hux. Mm. Because um, that was kind of an interesting aspect, too, because they're kind of the opposite of um, 
of, of Darth Vader and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name now. The Admiral. Admiral um, Piet. Yeah, uh, they had kind of a, a working relationship, and and no matter what, like they were always hand in hand. And and I never really got the the impression from watching the original movies, the original trilogy, that they were actually competing with each other. It was more of a rank and file kind of thing. Uh, two guys in charge of two different things, and and they had a respect for each other that way. Uh, these two guys just do not like each other. Period. And, and I thought that was a really interesting way to put those two up against each other, uh, to make them rivals. Uh, did you pick up on that, Mart? Did, did, yeah, is that something that stood was, out to you, or is that just me? Always trying to stab um, Ren in the back. Always trying to stab him in the back to Snook. There's a, yeah, interesting chemistry between the two of them. They definitely do not like each other. There is uh, no doubt about that. Yeah. It just adds kind of a political element to the First Order for me. And, and I always like that because really that's how uh, people don't like to say it, but like even the U.S. military has a political element to it. And, and it doesn't matter how how much skill or how much power you have, that there's always going to be that potential for an undercurrent of politics to be introduced into it. Uh, Ryan, do you find that to be intriguing or is that kind of just a sideshow that maybe I'm just interested in because of my military experience? I, I absolutely love the dynamic that they have. Uh, the three of them have, and the three being uh, Hawks and Kylo Ren and then uh, Snoke. You know, you kind of get the vibe that I, I was reminded of, like, two siblings kind of vying for the approval of the father, in this case is Snoke. But, um, you know, it is. It, it is. It just adds, like, a certain amount of dynamic uh, to think that there's this power struggle going on within... Uh, this this remnant of the imperial hierarchy that we saw, you know, it's been 30 years, you know, so obviously things aren't going to be exactly the same as it was before. But, you know, mm -hmm. I think it would have done a disservice to just copy what they did, uh, the dynamic they had in, in The Empire Strikes Back. That would have, I just don't think it would have played that well on screen. Yes. All right, and moving on to the next character, and, and we'll just go in general. The, the stormtroopers themselves um, really have never had any kind of personality. Uh, you've never known anything really about the stormtroopers outside of they were potentially at one point derived from the clones uh, that we learned in the prequels. Um, however, this time around, we find out that the Empire, uh, now the First Order, they don't have cloning facilities, so basically they're they're recruiting, uh, i.e., enslaving uh, soldiers from a very young age and turning them into stormtroopers, uh, which gives a very early uh, excuse as to why we can have Finn, uh, who himself is a stormtrooper, and everybody started to freak out because they're like, "Black stormtrooper? What?" Um, I felt like some of the reactions were very. Uh, Mel Brooks, like we were watching Blazing Saddles with some of the reactions. <laughs> That's a good good analogy. Um, <laughs> um, the Stormtroopers are what? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it adds a lot of, of potential for, for who these Stormtroopers are, though. And, and the fact that we get Finn from it. 
Uh, Finn is a very interesting character, to say the least, because it's the first time you actually see these stormtroopers actually humanized outside of Star Wars The Clone Wars, uh, a couple episodes of that. Um, but really, Finn is such a... I, I don't know what to make of him. Like, I like him. He's a likable guy. Uh, but he's a very weak person at times and very strong at other times. And then it's very interesting that they would they would pick him. Uh, what are your thoughts? We'll start with you this time, Ryan. Uh, uh, Finn, FN2187 or whatever his name is. I wouldn't was. call him weak, but I would definitely call him naive. Uh, he certainly doesn't have... You can tell he's never been outside of the hierarchy of the First Order. You know, he's used to having someone tell him, okay, go over here, shoot that guy, burn that building down, you know. And, you know, it kind of makes sense when they reveal that he's been, you know, in the system since infancy. You know, I mean, he's never known life outside of this this situation. So, I mean, his the fact that he doesn't really know, he's not very worldly, makes a lot of sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was a really cool character, and I love, I, I think he's got a ton of potential. But, yeah, I can't really per- get a get a feel for where they're going to go with him. I I didn't like the fact that he was so slick with a lightsaber, because I've always mm-hmm. kind of imagined that, I guess in my mind, that you needed the force to properly wield a lightsaber. But I mean, the fact that he could go toe to toe with with the stormtrooper guy with the riot stick that 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 part annoyed me. But um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I thought I thought Finn was a great uh, new addition to the Star Wars universe. Uh, and what are your thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I'd have, I have to agree on the lightsaber thing because you know it takes training to wield one of those, doesn't it? Not not just pick it up and go at it um, straight off the bat, but. I like him, so much so that my other half was um, worried that he was dead. She... <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, he's not dead, he's all right. I saw it last week. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of looked at it, and maybe I, using the word weak, um, kind of a disservice to the character. I, I, unsure, I guess, would be, like, he's never really sure of himself. He just knows that he needs to get away from where he was. Um, and he's kind of protective. And that's one of those, I noticed on Facebook, they always do those little personality quizzes and they had him as, as brave. And I was like, no, I don't view him as brave at all. Uh, so I think they got, whoever came up with that little quiz is dead wrong. Um, I don't view him as brave. I view him as, as a protective person who is really smitten for reasons either he knows or doesn't know with Ray. Um, and therefore he's willing to do stupid stuff. So basically he's a male, um, which is key, I guess. Um, but yeah, his character is really interesting and yeah, it's kind of, you, you wonder why if he's not a force sensitive, which he could be a force sensitive, how can he wield that lightsaber uh, and effectively against anybody, let alone as somebody who was clearly trained to fight somebody with a lightsaber yeah. uh, in that stormtrooper, um, and then later again with Kylo Ren. Yeah. Um, and the only excuse that I could come up with with Kylo Ren is the fact that Kylo Ren had taken a, a crossbow, the Wookiee bow shot to the to the stomach. 
and that might have altered his ability um, in the fight. But yeah. um, that indicates to me that maybe we're going to find out that he's a force sensitive in, in the next film. I don't know for sure. Yeah, I um, can't make up my mind on that <laughs> whether he will or not. Well, that and that yeah. and that was probably their intention when they kind of wrote that scene like that. Uh, that gives us one more thing to kind of discuss. It's, it makes for great water cooler talk for the next two years. You know, is he or isn't he? You know, he he used the lightsaber. He didn't cut any of his limbs off when he was doing it. You know, he's got to have have force powers, right? So yeah, it's it, it makes for great discussion. It really does, and I don't even care if he is. I mean, if he is, fine. Uh, but the dynamic between he and Ray throughout the entire movie. And from the time that they meet, is really kind of an interesting dynamic because it's it's one where the, it starts out that they're not they kind of grow together. They're not real sure of yep. each other. Uh, they both when well, they don't both want to use really Finn wants to use Ray to get the hell off the planet. The um, whole ho- holding my hand thing just yeah. that's a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. And and that just shows how protective he is, like, right off the bat. Is he protective, or he just wanted somebody to hold his hand? So I couldn't... <laughs> <laughs> he, he was packing his pants and just wanted somebody to go with him. <laughs> he, he clearly has no understanding of interpersonal relationships, <laughs> and it just felt natural to I'd, him. I'd like to see the um, stormtroopers running around holding hands in battle. <laughs> 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 But yeah, I, I just I, I don't know that if you split Ray and Finn up, if either one of them are as likable, because that relationship between the two of them just seemed to be so key in the development of them, and that's why you know that that Finn survived uh, his his fight with with Kylo Ren, because I can't picture at this point a Finn without Ray or a Ray without Finn. Yeah, I, I, um, I think you absolutely need the two of them to play off of each other. And Abrams does a great job of helping. They kind of make each other other's characters grow throughout this movie and progress to where they need to be to set up Episode Eight. I, I, you really need those two to play off each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and two of the characters, we're just going to move on to the next characters because I'm not really sure that you can do much more. Uh, with Ray and Finn, besides, they really do. They they play off each other. They kind of need each other to grow into this mysterious world that they've found themselves in. Uh, but talking about two characters that are really familiar with each other, um, and that is Han and Leia. Uh, just looking at where they are in this movie compared to where they've been, and clearly we've missed a whole history uh, between A Return of the Jedi and and the force awakens um did they portray themselves pretty realistically to you guys uh, like i'll just let whoever wants to start talking talk uh, <laughs> um that that chemistry is still there between them um you kind of work out that whatever happened can't have been that bad you know he didn't sleep with someone or she didn't sleep with someone else and it, there's well you kind of think it all 
goes back to the Ben Solo episode of that's they kind of grew apart because they couldn't fix that. I guess that's what I'm guessing. That's what I got out of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, yeah. the on screen chemistry is still there between them two. They still played off of each other really well. Carrie Fisher's really let herself go, but <laughs> I really yeah, don't she, see her in a bikini anymore. <laughs> she, she definitely, did you guys see that she addressed that uh, concern on Twitter here yesterday? Oh, did she? Yeah, she, no, did not she see went that. after some people that saying that uh, that have been critiquing what she uh, her appearance in this movie. So, yeah, there's uh, that that's caused quite an uproar. I don't know if people were expecting, uh, you know, Slave Leia Bikini. I mean, she is knocking on... <laughs> 60, isn't she? Yeah. I mean, you got you got to have realistic expectations here everybody. <laughs> In all honesty, and and you look at the characters, that the characters' strengths are not the looks. That was never Princess Leia's strength. Uh that's how they ended up portraying her at times and whether that was a a result of it being the 1980s when that was pretty commonplace. Or whether it was even something that was actually, I think, kind of genius by George Lucas and maybe underrated was the whole slave bikini Leia. Because they took this dignified person, this dignified, strong person. And how are you going to really show how much power you have over the situation in Jabba's case? Then taking that strong, dignified, regal person and reducing them to metal bikini tied to a chain to a hut. Um, that's where I think it was kind of genius because she didn't lose her attitude or anything like that. She lost control of the situation. And now, obviously, I mean, if you're going to rip on her for not being the same as 26-year-old Carrie Fisher, then that's pretty stupid. Yeah, I, I, I think <laughs> uh, you really hit a home run with that comment, Brian, because... You know, that's really the only time in the original trilogy where she is portrayed uh, in that kind of manner. You know, she's always dressed very conservatively um, because she's in a situation where, you know, when you're on Hoth, you're not going to be running around in a in a bikini or, you know, a short dress. You know, she's there. She's in a position of authority where she is commanding people. She needs to be dressed uh, for, for that, and that's what George Lucas did with her. But by stripping her of of that kind of clothing and reducing her to an object, which is what Jabba did by by putting her, that just makes Jabba that much more awful, which is what they needed him to be from a storytelling standpoint at the start of Return of the Jedi. Yes. And, and that's why I, I disagree totally with the people who, who would even think about bringing that up. It's clearly you don't understand the character if that's going to be one of your objections um and and the fact that she is royalty was indicated in in the very first scene uh when they're talking about general uh general solo um or general organa i can't remember which he referred to as yeah and he said she's royalty to me the old man and and Basically said, hey, she's the princess, period. And I don't know who that man is. I don't know that we'll ever know who that man really is, unless it's in the book. So we'll have to ask Casey about that, uh, who you can find at Darth Hawk. You're talking about the guy at the beginning? Let me yeah. grab the visual directory, directory and take a look at that. 
<laughs> but she is royalty, oh, and, and that's who she is. And Orsan Tekka oh. is his name. Orsan yeah. Tekka? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what his relationship is, necessarily. Does it say no. that? No. Follower of but, the Church of the Force. Yeah, you, and I we kind of discussed it earlier this week, Ryan, and and I said that I I'm willing to bet that he is probably going to. I think it was you and I. I said that he's probably, if we find out anything about him, he might be one of the last Alderanians. Hmm, that'd be um, an interesting take. Yeah, because there were some off-world yeah. uh, when when the Death Star blew up Alderaan, um, and he's old enough to where that's very possible that that he happens to be one of those um, and is holding his loyalties to the Alderaanian government, which would make Leia a princess. Um, I'd be cool with that. I don't... Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I I, I don't know. But the whole relationship between Han and Leia really, like you said, Mart, hasn't changed. They still have the same uh, reverence toward each other. Uh, They still clearly care about each other even if they don't know how to deal with their own emotions of everything that's gone on in that 25 years. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty qual- it's pretty common in, in real life as well when there's some kind of, you know, tragedy that happens with a child. You know, even though parents are still in love, they might not be able to, to stay together. And I believe Han says that, that every time that Leia looks at him, she sees Ben. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, of course that if, if, and we don't know what happened on the temple, but apparently it was bad enough where they just couldn't bear the thought, even though they still were, were as in love as they were on Endor, they just couldn't stay together because of, of that constant reminder. And, I mean, yeah. it, it fits the scene. I, I, I'm totally fine with it. I thought it was good screenwriting. Yeah, it really was. And, and the two of them, I uh, have enough chess by as actors um, the way they're able to pull that off, because even if you think about the characters themselves, if you did a character study on Han Solo and, and Princess Leia, uh, you would find that they're both strong, strong-willed. And what happens when neither of them has the strength to know what to do? Uh, there's really no other option for them to do except for to try to find that. And the only place that they knew where they got their strength was from being the government official and being a smuggler. Oh. And and so that's kind of what they did. They kind of split off uh, to find their strength again. Because, obviously, um, their entire worlds were completely disrupted and neither of them had the strength to support the other, uh, let alone themselves. Yeah, and it makes Kylo Ren that much more malicious as well to show that... You know, even though he's he's not directly involved in that, he he split up his parents' marriage. He did something that that was that awful um, to cause that, and it just kind of adds to his you know his badness. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anybody else that we haven't talked about that we should talk po? about? Poe Dameron. Poe. Let's go. Okay. Well, give me your thoughts on on Poe because he's kind of a fun character, maybe a a replacement for Han. I definitely think he's got some potential. He doesn't get uh, quite the screen time as, you know, Finn and Ray or Kylo Ren does. But um, 
I think the foundation is 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 definitely there for him to be like you said, kind of the the Han Solo replacement. You know, just a heroic. Uh, he certainly is a gambler, takes lots of chances, uh, but ends up pulling it off. You know, sometimes to be the hero, you have to take some chances and and make some risks. And he certainly seems willing to do that. And you know, he saves the day in the end. Mm-hmm. I I loved him. Uh, I I'm gonna toss it to you first uh, before I give my thoughts, Mark, but I know that I liked him. What were your yeah, thoughts no, on I, it? I, I was genuinely worried that it died in the Starfire crash because um, I thought he had a good opening to that film. Um, so uh, I was I was glad that he didn't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. whether, whether he's the new Han Solo or not, I don't know. Um, he, he's got potential. He's definitely got potential. You gotta love that black um, X-wing too. Yeah, that's kind of. <laughs> Thing's awesome. I, I want the Lego one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I really like about Poe Dameron is one, he he's clearly the leader of the of the X-wing um, resistance, uh, the resistance force of X-wings. Uh, he's clearly the best fighter and the pilot in the thing, not just because they told you, but because he was able to even learn how to pilot the, the TIE fighter so quickly. Um, in the, it's like he has good instincts for the, for the aircraft themselves. Uh, cause when he got into the first order X-Wing, he basically was able to instruct Finn without ever having been in a TIE fighter before. Um, so he's clearly knows his stuff and, um, I just think that there are so many... Uh, maybe Han Solo isn't who he's going to be. Uh, maybe that's wrong. Uh, but maybe more of a, a Wedge Antilles character. I'm yeah. fine with that. Wedge um, is cool. Yeah, which I would totally be totally be in favor of. Because if you've read the books, Wedge Antilles is such uh, an awesome character. And... and it's a shame that the movies didn't get more into him because he's such a likable guy. He's almost special forces. And, and I could totally see a lot of the character traits that Wedge Antilles has um, in Poe as well. Uh, with the quick wit, just the, the good skills. He's clearly a leader. Uh, he was able to lead uh, basically the, the Resistance's equivalent of Rose Quadrant um, into battle against the Starkiller base. Um... But he's a funny guy who's also very serious at the same time. Like he's that opening scene. I just died laughing both times we were watching it when Kylo Ren is just staring at him, and he's like, "All right, so uh, which one of us is gonna talk first? Am I gonna talk first? You're gonna talk first? Can't really tell." And then as soon as he starts talking, he just continues talking. He's like with the apparatus thing. He's he's he's, he's definitely got smart ass down. <laughs> yeah, and I just love that because you need that character, somebody who's strong, um, both skill wise and and is like the dude that you'd like to hang out with at the cantina. Um, are we going to see more of Poe Dameron? Do you, do you see his role like actually increasing in the oh, future oh, at definitely. all? definitely. I think he's going to be front and center for the next movie. I think they just kind of ran out of time. I mean, there was a lot going on in this movie. By the time you deal with characters from the past, 
and introduce Ray and Finn, and then you spend a bunch of time uh, with Kylo Ren, a little bit of time with Hawks and Snoke. I mean, guys like Poe, uh, Captain Phasma is another one that kind of got pushed aside. We just saw a little <laughs> bit of, of her and what she has to offer. Um, there just wasn't enough screen time. And I'm not sure it would have made a cohesive story if everybody got to be front and center. So I, I definitely think he's going to be, uh, he's that third member of the, the trilogy, uh, with, with Poe and, or with, uh, Finn and Ray. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause you know that those three are going to be some main players in the story. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Poe, Mike? Yeah, I think, uh, Poe's definitely going to grow, I think, in the next film. Um, and I'd agree with Ryan on the Captain Phasma thing. I thought, I really thought we were going to see more, more of her. Um, be interesting to see whether she made it out alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, or who made it out you... alive? I mean, no Ren did, <laughs> but anyone else? <laughs> that planet was uh, falling apart pretty fast, and they were yeah. awfully casual. Uh, when they spoke to Snoke, he was just kind of like, yeah, you know, whenever you get the chance, just get off. I'm like, dude, the planet the planet <laughs> core is collapsing upon itself. You might want to speed up the evacuation. Just There should be some warning klaxons going off or something. Get the ship gassed up. Get it ready to get off planet. You guys are being way too half-assed about all this stuff. Yeah, especially given the precedent of the rebellion or the resistance in this case. Um Actually blowing up Death Star-like things before. <laughs> it, it, it was very much, it reminded me of on Death Star 1 when Tarkin, an officer comes up and tells Tarkin, oh, we've analyzed their attack, attack sir, they've got, they've, there's a danger. We, we really, should I get your shuttle ready? Uh, no, 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 it's, it's good. I, I'm not worried about this at all. <laughs> you know, just get, get lost, get me a cup of coffee. I'm going to watch uh, Yavin 4 get blown up. And we don't, we don't know how that ends for Tarkin. Yeah, and and nothing illustrates that better than the Family Guy's Blue Moon, um, whatever they called it, the, yeah, yeah. the, the Blue Moon episode where yeah. they they wanted a oh, we can fix that with just a four by six sheet of plywood. They're like, I'm gonna need a cost estimate on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> just one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in any spoof. Um, but yeah, and what we're gonna do? We're gonna move on to the next one because you brought up Ryan. Um, you brought up Captain Phasma, so I'm going to roll that into my the next segment. Um, one of my complaints, uh, we're going to go through a couple of complaints that we did have with the movies. Uh, there weren't many to be had if you actually looked at it sort of semi-objectively and strip away your expectations. No. Um, however, Captain Phasma is one of the characters that you cannot uh, strip away the expectations because that was one of the things that they were really touting. Uh, they used Captain Phasma in... A number of different scenes and, and promotional things, uh, played by Gwendolyn Christie of Game of Thrones, which I was really, really, really excited about the prospect of Captain Phasma with her chrome. Well, first off, the fact that she was female, and that was all new because female stormtrooper, first off. Uh, second off, that badass chrome armor Amazing. Uh, that she had with the cape and everything. What an underutilized and wrongfully utilized character. Like, I don't know if she escaped the Starkiller base. 
But the way they used the Captain Phasma character was so underwhelming that I, I just could not get over it. It left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Because I know that, first off, they didn't use her very much. And, and you end up with almost a Darth Maul, but a minor Darth Maul character to her because she didn't get much screen time at all. Yeah. But secondly, such a weak character. You're a captain in this first order. You only got that special armor because you are kick-ass. But the moment somebody points a blaster in your direction, you're going to just shut down the entire defense system for the Starkiller base? Yeah, and... I don't, I don't understand yeah, that. Yeah, the, that's one of the complaints, the two complaints I have written down to, Brian, is how easily she was just like, oh, they're going to toss me in the trash compactor. Uh, I better do what they say. Even though it's going to doom all of my men and women that report to me to almost certain death, but you know what? It's going to set the, the the first order back years in in weapons technology. But yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll turn the shield off for you. Don't shoot me or throw me in the trash compactor. I'll do what you say. It's like really, come on! <laughs> you you got to have more of a spine than that, Captain Phasma. No fight. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a really, really. In an otherwise great movie, it was one of the most glaring things. That just stood out like immediately, and and I don't want to say what oh my complaints were because I really only had two or three, uh, so I'll just pass it off. Was there anything in in your opinion, Mark, that just did not make any sense to you or that you could complain about? The, I, I mean, I completely agree with the Captain Phasma thing, and I was so disappointed because she is one of my favorite Game of Thrones characters. And I really hoped she was going to get more than that in Star Wars and should have had more than that with the character. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the only other thing that got, pissed me off, I've already mentioned, was the where did Ren get the melted Darth Vader helmet <laughs> from? <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> I still need to know that. Answers on a postcard to uh, Game Block. <laughs> I, I, I gotta get my ass in gear and get a post office box set up I guess yeah P.O. Box Game Block dot Dallas something like that send it there yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what about you Ryan I mean there are enough things in there and, and most of the, the complaints will probably end up pretty small things outside of a couple of big yeah, ones we're, we're, we're splitting hairs here I mean I get that yeah. and I mentioned this a couple minutes ago I'm sure they just ran out of time to give to to flesh Captain Phasma out a little bit more. Um so mm-hmm. I mean that 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 is what it is. My only other complaint guys was the Han Solo introduction scene. And I'm not talking about when the door opens and we see the two of them because that's one of the most badass moments in the film. Yeah. I'm just a little bit annoyed how quickly they show up after the Falcon. I, I'm sure the Falcon had some kind of distress signal it sent out as soon as it was activated to alert Han and mm-hmm. Chewie where it was. But, I mean, they were just right on top of that, like, instantly. So they were yeah. either just hanging out in the system or that just wretched-looking freighter that they own is crazy fast. And that thing looks like it does the Kessel Run in, like, 112 parsecs. I mean, it looks, <laughs> it looks slower than hell. 
So, and, and I get, I know we're uh, just, there's only so much screen time you have available. And given the important yeah. role that Han and Chewie play in this movie, I mean, Han Solo is basically the Obi-Wan of this movie. He's the mentor. He's the guide. He's there to explain things to these, to these new kids that are going to be the stars from here on out. So, I mean, you gotta get him on screen. You can't really wait like 20 minutes of screen time and waste that time. Uh, as they as they wait and fix on the Falcon. I mean, how do you fill that screen time? So I get that it has to happen that way, but it it was just kind of jarring that they were just there right away. I've, yeah. got, I've got one more thing, All right? Mm-hmm. And this is probably just me being picky, yeah. But BB-8's got that little bit of map, yeah, that tiny little bit of map that they've got the rest of the entire little <laughs> bit of, map of, of the map. But this little one bit, yeah. when they put that up on screen and they go, oh, no, we don't know where that is. That's an unknown star system. But when they put it all together, they've got this whole massive map of the <laughs> galaxy. <laughs> the system is. You couldn't work out what bit was missing? Come on. Apparently, <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> that and R2-D2, like, stays asleep the entire movie, and then he's all of a sudden, like, he looks at his little internal watch and says, well, there's only 20 minutes for the movie to be over. <laughs> so I guess I'll just wake up now with no other explanation. Yeah, yeah There's no um, question that they took a couple of... You know, and like I said, the screenplay I'm sure required. You, you got to get from point A to point B somehow, and on arriving as early as he can, and R2 waking up are necessary to do that. But it does seem like you know they they could have maybe come up with a little more creative reason for how those events unfolded on screen. It's all in the Blu-ray, Ryan. It's all in the Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that Blu-ray to come out then. And I do remember when they said that R2 was in in low power mode since Luke left. I remember like an audible, ah coming from the theater. And my wife was one of them. She was so sad. She was like, oh, that's so sweet that R2 would shut down because his fearless leader, Luke, would have disappeared. Um, but yeah, it just, it made no, like the timing of it all just made no sense. They should have come up with it, something. It was something. Like, there should have been a third piece to the puzzle that was just missing. Or something. Yeah. How um, did C-3PO lose his arm? That's what I want to know. Why has he got a rep on? Yeah. <laughs> what did he do? But really... <laughs> <laughs> but we are kind of splitting hairs, and there are some people, uh, for our next segment, which I named Complaints About Complaints, um, <laughs> where people are really making some reaches about things that complain about this movie yeah. with. I, and I wanted to start with the Starkiller base itself. Because I, while I understand some of the complaints and, and why some people might object to having Starkiller base uh, looking so much like the Death Star um, and having a very similar exhaust system to the Death Star, what I can't get over is the fact that people are willing to ignore how effective the Death Star was and then being able to make that connection as to why the the First Order would want to make another Death Star even bigger, even more powerful. Because one of the things that they didn't really expound on, in one shot, the Starkiller base killed five planets. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that... There's a reason why they wanted to use a Death Star-type type weapon. 
And and that's because it works. It's highly effective, and it's a huge threat. And, and I think that, uh, that's my biggest complaint about the people complaining about that, about the movie R. Um, the arguments is center around the Starkiller base. Yeah, and one swift stroke, the new, the uh, First Order wiped out the, the New Republic Senate. You know, I, I yeah. don't know how anyone can say that Starkiller base, even though it's destroyed right now, I mean, it still did a shitload of damage before they were able to stop it. I mean, it killed, what, four, five, six planets? I mean, yep. give yeah. some credit where credit is due here, people. I mean, it did a lot of damage. And, and it was an entire system that they had taken out. And like you said, five, six planets, including what we can assume is Corellia. Or not Corellia. Um, Coruscant? Because... I would imagine Coruscant would be where they would center the Senate. In in the book I got, this is something that wasn't explained. It was uh, they actually revolve the the Senate moves from planet to planet now. So it's just oh, some okay. kind of random. But again, that wasn't in the film, so there's no way for anyone to know it. So as far as we know, Coruscant is still existing, but they just they don't use it as a capital anymore. It's like a revolving gotcha. deal. So. Gotcha. So they acted on intelligence and destroyed five planets in order to get to the Senate. As, as long as Which, one of those was Naboo, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, God, they, well, what if Jar Jar was... Well, Jar Jar's probably still in the Senate, though. So he was probably off-planet. So we, we need to cheer that, that... Well, that's good. That means he's dead. They blew up the Senate. So and, bye-bye, Jar Jar. <laughs> and did you have any... Did you guys have any complaints about some of the complaints being made? I know that we talked about Leia already. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of the complaints that I saw were people were complaining about the nostalgic bit that we all love. Oh, that's too, that's that's too much like the first one. That's too much like the second one. It's like, oh, that's what they're there for <laughs> to draw yeah. you back in. <laughs> oh, come on, get with it. You know, the yeah. massive star destroyer at the start. You know, I know there wasn't a little ship underneath it, but the stars just were floating across the screen in the beginning. It just draws you in from the start. And the whole bringing you back to where you were when you were a kid. It's, <laughs> people just didn't seem to understand those connections with the old films were there for a purpose, not there because they couldn't think of anything else to do. Yeah. They were there to draw you back into the whole Star Wars thing. Numb nuts. Yeah, if, <laughs> if, if you didn't uh, go into the theater expecting this to be an homage, and this is not a reboot, because I've seen several people say, oh, it's just a reboot, it's just a reboot. It's It's not a freaking reboot, get a clue. If you didn't think that this was going to be an homage to the movies that were made from 1977 to 1983, you weren't paying attention. As soon as this this new trilogy was announced, they made a point, Kathleen Kennedy made a point to mention we're going to go back to the old way of filmmaking. It's going to be practical effects. It's going to be stuff that that you liked, the the movies that you liked is what you're going to get. And I, I just don't know, were people not paying attention to all the photos that were on the set, all the publicity that came out, the trailers that came out? Were you just not paying attention to what to, to all that stuff? Because I was, and I wasn't surprised at what I saw in the theater. Yeah, and, and with <laughs> a franchise like this, 
It's unrealistic to expect them to do anything more than what they did. They had to do what they did. And and it only makes sense because if you're going to continue this really expansive universe and still maintain the, the Star Wars aura, you've got to have tie-ins. You've got to have tie-ins to the old franchises. And that's one of the things that didn't work with the prequel trilogy yep. is they just started it from blank with nothing. And the only link that you had to the prequels, to uh, from the prequels to the original trilogy, was the existence of Yoda, the existence of Obi Wan, yeah. and and that was really it. That's what you had because even Chancellor Palpatine was not the Emperor at that point. You had no idea who he was really in the first film, and I think what they had to do with so much of what's happening now had to be reliant on what happened in the past. And so they had to tie that in. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, this movie has to accomplish two things for it to be successful. Uh, first of all, it needs to begin the transition from old characters to new ones. And I think it pulls that off very, very well. Uh, the second, it absolutely has to wash away the stink of episodes one through three. And I think that might be the more important part of it. And there was no way Disney was going to drop the ball on that. There's, it's not a mistake that there's no Gungans or no mention of Naboo in this movie. There's a casual throwaway line about clone troopers. That's as close as we get to anything prequel related. Uh, they handled it as good as they possible, possibly could. I, I don't know what people were looking for. Yeah, I don't know either. I really don't. It was exactly and, what I was looking for. That, yeah, that's, me, that's what it was. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of these complaints that I'm seeing are directly contradicting themselves. Uh, I see a lot of people that are mad that it's too similar to A New Hope. Okay, I understand that. I'm not going to disagree with that fact. In my eyes, that's not a bad thing. But in the same <laughs> breath, they are angry that Kylo Ren isn't a direct copy of Darth Vader. They're mad that he takes his mask off. They're mad that he's an emo teen. I, I know the, the, the big thing is, oh, he works at Hot Topic. Look how emotional he is. Okay, I've never been to Hot Topic, so I don't even get that reference. But, I mean... You're missing out on a lot of great t-shirts. That's what, that's what makes him so cool, is that he's not a copy. You guys don't want a copy of the movie, but you want a copy of the villain. I... You can't have it both ways. Pick one or the other. It's good that Kylo Ren is not a direct copy. It's good that he's throwing fits and wrecking thousands of dollars worth of credits or whatever <laughs> worth of equipment. Embrace it. I just don't know. you got to pick one or the other. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, the guy is so sporadic, and he shouldn't be exactly. I mean, it's it's not a carbon copy. And when people say that, uh, they just completely discredit even any legitimate complaints they might have because they've just said something completely outlandishly stupid. Yeah. Um, at least uninformed. <laughs> I will say that. I won't say stupid. But I think you hit the nail on the head. They have to, to erase the stink, as you called it, of the, of the prequel trilogy. And uh, in all honesty, you guys, after seeing this movie, I think once I own it, I might be hard-pressed to watch anything outside of, like, the last... Like, outside of Mustafar on of Revenge of the Sith. 
uh, from that original trilogy. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I can ever go back to Phantom Menace. I just don't know if I can do it. <laughs> you know, um, my my daughter, I took her to that, and of course, as soon as she saw uh, uh, Force Awakens, you know, she comes home and she's like, "Daddy, put on a put on another Star Wars movie." Well, we had watched the original trilogy all that week before, so I thought, well, let's all right, we'll put Revenge of the Sith on. And if you thought those movies looked bad before, I mean, once you see what could have been in the hands of a good filmmaker, because I forgot what a Star Wars movie could be when properly handled because of those those three awful movies. I mean, they they damaged me in that in that regard. But to yes. see what could have been in the hands of J.J. Abrams... And then you go back to see Sith, which is the best one of the three. It looks really, really bad. It looks way worse than it did before, which I didn't think was possible, but it is. <laughs> you mean Newt Gunray isn't a step <laughs> oh, up from God, Newt Gunray? Sorry, <laughs> just, the, just the dialogue. The one line of dialogue that after we saw the Force Awakens on the Sith broadcast was when Grievous is telling the leaders of. The Separatists. He's like spelling everything out. I'm going to take you to Mustafar. It's a volcanic... It's like, why would you have to tell him what the makeup of the planet is? It's just so stupid. <laughs> and I, I just... I, I have to sit there and watch that, and I'm like, God, how good would this movie have been, potentially, if J.J. Abrams had been the one calling the shots? And it just sucks that we'll never know. Yeah. And, and George Lucas probably sat with his grandkids at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing those scripts and just did it over breakfast. Well, what should happen next, kids? <laughs> um, well, it, wouldn't, it honestly wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> it was just bad. Put a pod race in, Grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. What toys would you like? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, before we close out the show, I, I'm going to mix it up a little. Well, yeah. Before we close out the show... um. Let's go with what you'd like to see for the future of the, of the franchise, because we've got four movies in the next four years that are going to be coming out uh, after The Force Awakens, uh, with Rogue Squadron uh, coming out next year, then Episode Eight, then uh, the Star Wars Anthology's Han Solo origin story, which I'm really proud uh, of. Me for. too. Um, and then uh, Episode Nine, I'll close it out. Uh, so we'll start with, with Mark. Um, what do you? What would you like to see happen uh, with the the trilogy? Like, what are your goals for the trilogy? Um, and a, in a storytelling context, or what would you like to see? I mean, develop. Oh, um, tough. Um, a lot more of Ren. Um, in his uh, the backstory to Ren and the. Um, Luke, whole thing, what went on? I think I definitely like to see if for backstory. I'd like to see that. I mm. couldn't tell you where the film's going to go. Um, obviously, Ray's parents or parentage is an interesting thing because um, if you read the books, it could go one way, but the way that the movies pulled away from the books a little. It, it kind of leaves it open. So I think that's kind of interesting. I don't want to say that's where I think it's going to go. I, I, I want it to tell me. I want to wait. I want to see it on screen. Yeah. Well, does it bother you at all? that Because 
it did separate from the books. It, it deviated from from what the books present. Uh, does the canon versus non-canon versus new canon uh, bother you at all? Or uh, do you think that's a overall positive I thing? I think that's a positive. Yeah, I know there was some debate. Yeah, there was some debate when Aftermath came out about uh, what's canon, what's not canon, and Ryan, does it does that affect you at all? And and what are your visions for how you'd like to see the franchise go? I don't necessarily need something to be labeled canon for me to enjoy it. And you know, there's some amazing Star Wars stories that are now that there's new movies being made. Uh, they're not, they don't count. Stuff, these events have never happened. The events of the Thrawn trilogy did not happen now, and I know that. Um, I listened to the audiobooks of uh, Heir to the Empire this summer, knowing that The Force Awakens was coming, and knowing that the stuff the narrator was reading me doesn't count. It never happened. Mm -hmm. But I can still enjoy that story. So I have no problem with non-canon stuff. I don't think these movies ruin the expanded universe whatsoever. You just have to take them, just suspend your disbelief for a couple, you know, however long it takes to read through them, and just enjoy the stories. They're good stories, just because they don't count. Just to kind of, you know, treat them like a, a tall tale that somebody is telling you. They're fun, they're exciting. Don't ignore them because there's so much good stuff out there. There really is. There really is. And and how do you see them like folding everything into the to the like whether it's the expanded universe or whether it's whatever? How how do you see do you see them pulling much for the the remainder of the trilogy I, that I, we that we've got in the future or what would you like to see? I I really don't think that the expanded universe stuff is going to going to turn up. I mean, you might see like some characters like if Grand Admiral Thrawn himself were to turn up in like a movie or hopefully the Netflix series that they're working on, maybe in that context. But I just don't think the events that, that Thrawn participates in the book are ever going to be incorporated into the film directly. And you know what? That's that's fine. These guys have a yeah. different vision. Um, let them tell their story. I'd rather have them tell their story than try to shoehorn something that already exists in because that never turns out well. Yeah, and and something like that never ever works because at that point it's somebody else's story or a collection of other people's stories, yeah. and, and and the more cooks in the kitchen, then the more likely you are to not actually come up with something that's even worthwhile. Exactly. And uh, I tend to agree with you. Like I've read so many of the books, and and including the Heir to the Throne series, which uh, really is why the expanded universe even exists. Uh, is Timothy's on and, and his efforts to make that Thrawn trilogy actually come to be. Um, if not for that, you don't have an expanded universe and, and you don't have as much canon as there is. And, and I think that one of the things that really I love about The Force Awakens is how it says, yeah, canon, <laughs> whatever. And, and they just totally disregard it. Not complete disregard for it. Because they got Ben Solo from somewhere, and that would be from the expanded universe. Uh, but merely the fact that one of the, the things that I told my wife afterwards is the thing that was shocking about the death of Han Solo was the fact that I am familiar with the books, 
and Han Solo in the books outlives Ben. And so that really threw me off, and, and he outlives Chewbacca, even. And, and just that one little death scene alone takes so much of what that expanded universe was and so much of what is canon and just pulverizes it. And I found myself completely 100% okay with that. And not only was I okay with it, but I view it as something that's so much better. Um, What I'd like to see for the future of the franchise moving on for episodes 8 and 9, as I would like to see, and I think we're going to find a lot of development for Ben Solo and Kylo Ren. Um, Part of me does not want Kylo Ren to survive the next movie. Um, Not because I hate him for killing Han Solo, but because I would love to see somebody bigger come into the picture. Uh, Somebody like a Darth Cadus from the Expanded Universe. And and if you bring um, Jaden and Jason, or Jaina and Jason Skywalker... Yeah, there's 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 solos as well. Yeah, I always I always get them confused. But if you bring the twins into the picture uh, as part of it, and then you've got Ray, who right now is a big mystery, her lineage. Uh, but if you make her one half of the the twins, uh, with Darth Cadus on the other side, um, that would be just unbelievably amazing. Um, or like you said, if we see a Grand Admiral Thrawn, but I just don't think that we're going to see Thrawn. I think that we might as well forget about that at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's what I would like to see. I would, I would like to see Kylo Ren become actually a vehicle for something so much more sinister. And you can say Snoke. And, and the visuals that they brought for, for Supreme Leader S- Snoke uh, were just incredible with that huge hologram just towering over both Hux and Kylo Ren. I really spoke a lot. But I didn't really feel that intimidated by him. I knew that that's what they wanted me to feel, was intimidated by this Snoke character. Uh, but I just didn't feel that. I want somebody more sinister. Uh, the fact that you never saw the Emperor's face in the original trilogy was really something that added to that character, a certain sinister uh, feel. To where he was so imposing, uh, simply because he would never even show you his face. So you didn't even know. You could be standing right next to him, and you wouldn't even know it. Um, I love that about the first films. Um, and I just didn't get that feeling about Snoke, to, to be honest. Like, I, I know that he's supposed to be completely badass, and he is the man or whatever. Um, but I want so much more from that that supreme being, that that Sith master. Um, and I really hope that they do something to to make me feel that way about Snoke or introduce somebody else. That's uh, where they have him as more of a Dooku character, kind of an in-between guy trying to develop uh, Kylo Ren into something more fierce. Um, I would love to see that. I thought, but, Snoke, I thought Snoke had a certain uh, Wizard of Oz kind of feel to him, you know, yeah. where he's just a man. <laughs> he's just a guy kind of hiding behind the curtain. Like, obviously, when you're introduced to him, you're like, oh, he's a giant. Oh, wait, it's a hologram. So, I mean, he just kind of has that, that vibe where he's uh, sleight of hand. Uh, he's not all that he's cracked up to be and doesn't have any real power at the end of the day. 
And how funny would it be if he was revealed to be Smurf size? <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> um, and I know everybody would shit on it, including myself. I would have such a blast making fun of it. Oh, yeah. But it would be so funny if you have, I mean, he'd really take Yoda's thing, <laughs> as size matters not kind of thing, and, and really push it to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it is. And I think that's a very, a spot on assessment. It's very Wizard of Ozzy. And, and I like that they did it. I like so many things they did cinematography wise uh, with this movie. And that was one of them. Uh, the other one was when Kylo Ren and Ray were fighting. Uh, I noticed particularly the second time around that they had the Kylo Ren was fighting out of the lower corner of the screen. There was no backing up for him. There was no way he was going. And the only thing you could see Ray do was retreat. And and I just love that, that aspect of the cinematography that was presented yeah. uh, with the movie. It's so many little attentions to detail. Um, and I just hope they, they do a better job of, of making Snoke more intimidating for the next film. Um, and, and that's the only thing I really hope for it. Uh, because at this point, it's such an open slate. And I just feel so good about letting somebody else take the reins and... And not coming up with a direction that I have to see it go. And I love that. I love the fact that, that that's what we have. I mean, we knew the original trilogy, or the prequel trilogy, rather. The only thing we really wanted to see was the scene where Anakin became Darth Vader. Yep. It was all it was all about that moment. Yep. That entire shit show, and it was episodes one, two, and three was only to lead up to that moment. Yeah. That, that's and now, we that don't really, know what we're getting. Yep. And, th- and that's one of the side effects of uh, getting rid of the ex- expanded universe. And as hard as it is to say goodbye to characters like Rook and uh, Winter and, and these characters that if we have grown to love in the pages of the novels and the, and the comic books, um, it, it, it's so fresh to not know where it's going, because anything could happen again. And that was one of the biggest problems with Episodes 1, 2, and 3, is we know the end result going in. We know that Yoda and Obi-Wan survive. We know that Anakin Skywalker has a fall from grace and is cut down on a volcanic planet and put inside a giant walking coffin. When you take that suspense off the table... It takes so much of the thrill out of the movie-going experience. Yeah, they've just made everything, not even 1987, but more like 1981, uh, where after uh, Empire Strikes Back, we just found out that Darth Vader was Luke's father. And you're like, shit, what's going to happen now? And that's where we're at. That is uh, exactly where we're at cinematically right now with Star Wars. Couldn't agree more. And it's but, awesome. It's a great yeah. place to be. <laughs> it, <is cool. laughs> it really is. It really is. And, and the last thing that I had, and I kind of added it as a, um, not an afterthought, but just during the, the thing, and we talked a little bit about it earlier, was the family reaction. Uh, because our reaction, we're so anticipating the next step. Uh, a family reaction, and I, I wanted to kind of get into that a little bit and I probably should have done it earlier so that's just not a very good organizational thing by me but 
one of the things I wanted to mention is my wife, the first thing that she actually said whenever we came out of the theater was that everything that we got for Christmas for the kids that had Kylo Ren on it had to go. Um, <laughs> she, she was sobbing so hard, and, and she'll even tell you to this day, if I were to bring her on, that Han Solo to her was always kind of a father figure himself to her because Han Solo in that character reminded her so much of her own father. And to see him cut down uh, in the fashion that he was cut down, uh, my wife was sobbing. Uh, My son was sobbing. Uh, My daughter was crying and couldn't even talk about it three days later because I had brought it up whenever we were going to school the one day. And she's like, please, can we just not talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that really that's really what made it. And and I myself, I don't know how you guys were whenever you walked out of the theater. Um, it was something that that you alluded to earlier, Ryan. That we're not going to experience that again. But I literally refused to talk about the movie for at least an hour, probably closer to an hour and a half after it was over. I really didn't say a word about much of anything outside of where do you want to go eat? <laughs> and that was pretty much the only thing I said for, for that first hour. Um, uh, with, uh, as a whole family experience, you, you just don't get that. And, and I'm hoping that the next movies actually do uh, come even close to having that experience, even though I know full well that that, itself is an unrealistic expectation. Uh, but uh, have your families actually expressed any kind of anticipation for the future of the, of the films or, or any kind of a renewed or brand new um, appreciation for what that film actually brought? Yeah, my, my wife is not a sci-fi fan whatsoever, as I spoke of earlier. And we we got home and she's like, what what's another Star Wars movie we could watch, you know? And I was just like, you know, when when we she agreed to go to the Force Awakens and I bought tickets and she took time off of work so she could go with me. She was going because I needed somebody to go with me. You know, we're in a town that I haven't made a lot of friends yet. Uh, it was during a work day. I mean, there was nobody I could have gone to see The Force Awakens with. That is the only reason my wife went to see it. And, I mean, her reaction on the way home, can can we watch another one? What's the next best Star Wars movie? That That's a movie that would appeal to non-Star Wars fans. That that was her take on The Force Awakens. And you know what? She's right. It's just, it, it's just such good storytelling to, to melt her... Uh, the ice around her heart when it comes to to sci-fi, I mean, that, I can't. Words can't describe how big of a deal that is. Absolutely. And how about you, Mark? And then we'll just yeah. more after after your answer, just morph into your final thoughts, and then we'll close it out. Yeah, I think um, to my other half, she she looked at me a couple of times and said, "Am I getting deja vu during this film?" Like the the bit when Han died and with Ren walking out over the bridge, she's saying, reminds me so much of Empire with uh, Vader and Skywalker. Am I supposed to be getting that? And I'm like, yeah. Those, those things are there for a reason. Um, 
which I mean, she really enjoyed it. I think I preferred going with my son because mm. otherwise there's too many questions that need answers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a whole. It it was just a great thing to go and experience it again with other people for the their first time of going to the cinema to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I will I'll give my final thoughts here, and then we'll go to you, Ryan, and and you can close out the show however you'd like to. Um, basically, my final thoughts are this: if if you haven't experience the the Star Wars in the theater because uh, a lot of people haven't they wait they watch it on DVD or whatever um, it was really one of the and especially if you missed it uh, the opening scenes and the opening weekend and stuff um, you really missed one of the best experiences I know that I've ever had in a theater um, I would say that this is probably the first movie that I've actu- actually seen the very first showing um, <laughs> for it, and I'm so glad that I caught it. J.J. Um, Abrams did just a fan- such a fantastic job that, in all honesty, with with all the fandom that I've had with this movie, um, I don't know how anybody else could have done what he's done. Uh, just looking at at the number of things that he has done in the past, directorially, uh, author-wise. Um, he actually has a book out there that is just one of the more unique experiences called Ship of Theseus, I believe, is what it's called. Um, just a really unique reading experience, even. He finds a way. He's just one of one of the great storytellers of our time. He might be the next generation of James Cameron, um, if you forget about Avatar, because Avatar sucks. Um uh, but yeah, it, it's a total experience that you can enjoy with your family. Uh, if you have little ones, you can enjoy it by yourself um, or with your friends. And, and I, I strongly recommend it to really anybody. And, and I just love the fact that they made it so accessible and, and so that you don't even really have to have a strong, super deep knowledge of the Star Wars and the Star Wars universe. Uh, you can go into it with a very topical knowledge and still get that same emotional feel, I believe, um, that somebody who is a complete nerd would have, a Star Wars nerd would have, uh, like the three of us. Um, so those are my thoughts. And, and it's really, it, it it was just a complete family experience, and I'm, I'm so glad to have had it. I'm so glad that it was afforded to us. Um, because, really, the the... Tempered expectations of the prequel trilogy was just, it could have been so much worse. And it ended up the exact opposite of the spectrum of what those prequel trilogies were. So I'm very happy with that. And and that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, to me, I guess it feels like J.J. Um, Abrams and his amazing staff from Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the screenplay. I can't, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the guy who also contributed to the screenplay, the first draft, I believe. Uh, to the actors, to the people who built all the props and the, you know, minimal use of CG in this, but still there were artists that had to create all this stuff. It just feels like everybody got together and just made like a Valentine to Star Wars fans. Yeah. You know, and just said, "Here you go." Um, none of us might, none of us were involved in the in the prequels, but we're sorry. 
you know, we're sorry that that existed. Um, here is this thing. Take a look at this. Enjoy it. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your spouses. Um, talk about it. Discuss it. Um, find the good things. Find the bad. And uh, But here it is. This is The Force Awakens, and we just want you to enjoy it. And I, I just, I did. I just enjoyed it so much. I, I, I've enjoyed it twice, and I, I guarantee I'm going to enjoy it at least a third time. It's an amazing movie. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And and John Williams made his triumphant no. return. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, is the, he is the absolute shit. Yeah. And uh, he hit a home run again. I mean, if you actually sit there and listen to the soundtrack, you can almost watch the movie again in your head. Um, from opening credits to the end credits, uh, it's just fantastic. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And um, let's just go around the room and we'll uh, tell people how to get a hold of us or find us or whatever. Um, I'll start with myself, and then we'll go to Mark and Ryan. Um, and Ryan, you just close out the show since you've got your finger on the record button. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ToonsBrian. Uh, you can also find uh, everything that I do or whatever. Um, sometimes don't do. Uh, ToonShow.com, including Trending Topics Network uh, links, uh, which you can actually find regular episodes of Toons Game Time either at ToonShow.com or TrendingTopicsNetwork.com. Passing it over to Mark. Uh, you can find me at only one more on Twitter. Um, and that's where I am a lot of the time. Um, yeah, you can find me there. And I need to do my top five games for Game Block of 2015. Yeah, 20, 2015 is quickly slipping away from you, I, know, I believe. I, know, I believe. I I, I, I'm not that good with dates, but I think tomorrow is the last day of 2015. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get my Lego Dimensions fill in first. I understand what a time trap anything Legos is, so I certainly cannot uh, cannot hold that against you whatsoever. Uh, my Twitter is Rye Hamner, just R-Y-H-A-M-N-E-R. There is no space or hyphen in that. GameBlock does have a hyphen, game-block. Check it out. This is where this podcast will be located. That's, you're probably already there, but take a look around. We've got tons of Star Wars stuff. Uh, some video game stuff, all kinds of good stuff here. So, um, yeah, thanks for uh, – this was fun, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for yeah, joining us. Fun. This has been a really fun discussion. Yeah, all right, awesome. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you later. <laughs>